Welcome to Decades From Home, a podcast about the weird and wonderful side of living in Germany. And all without saying, wenn der Himmel weint, lebt die Erde auf. Happy New Year, listeners. I'm Nick Houghton of 40percentgerman.com and I'm joined by my co-host, as ever, Simon Maddox. He's a man who doesn't need an introduction, but we give him one every week anyway. How are you, Simon? I'm doing all right. I'm doing all right. Thank you, mate. How are you? Yeah, I'm back to work, isn't it? There's no more festivities. <laughs> Everyone's taking down their lights outside their houses. I took down the Christmas tree on Sunday after it had begun to look slightly depressing. It's gone an off-color green, and it started to droop in a rather sad fashion. So, yeah, I guess Christmas Christmas is officially over, which is which will bum everyone out because it's only Epiphany on Thursday. Epiphany, listeners, for those people who were not raised by vicars, <laughs> is when the three kings visit the baby Jesus, uh, and we get a public holiday here in Bavaria. Yeah. I think it's, it's it's countrywide, is it not? And if it's not, sorry. But, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think it is a national holiday. But I'm not entirely sure. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, on on that day, we learn about the kings. Yeah. So most people at this time will have to write. Uh, what are the initials you have above your doors at DCM? Is this where I, I show off my my biblical yeah, knowledge? Really. Like, I need your help. Like, I, <laughs> I see there's some graffiti on people's door, but I know it's not graffiti. So you have C, M, and B, which stands for the three kings, which is Caspar, Melchior, and Balthazar. Sorry, I totally blanked <laughs> as soon as I remembered it with my smart arsery. I got to step in and, and sound clever. I, I love it. No, I'm cutting it out. I'm just going to cut in the bit that I, I used. To, you think I'm an idiot? Um, I, I, yeah. So. This year, you would have 20, a symbol of a crucifix, C, symbol of a crucifix, M, symbol of a crucifix, B, symbol of a crucifix, and 22 to represent 2022 and the three kings, Caspar, Melchior, and Balthazar. So that's what you would get. Mm -hmm. So yeah, they write that above their doors. And then what happens, Simon? And then kids come around and ask for things. Uh, Well, I mean, this is something I've never experienced this myself because I always lived in like a a hawkhouse like in a, a multi-apartment building i don't think we're going to get any visitors this time we put stuff out around halloween and no one came so in a, in a pandemic you shouldn't be really sending kids to people's houses but there is a sort of like it's not not trick-or-treat but it's sort of that that's a type of visitation it's the same idea you get the kids will come around dressed as the three kings and when i first saw a kid where like because one of the, the the one of the three kings is traditionally Balthazar, I think. Is the, Balthazar, it is. Yeah. It is Balthazar is represented as coming from. I think it's because he's meant to have come from Africa, mm-hmm. or at least certainly the medieval depictions clearly indicate coming from a, a foreign land. And the, the three kings are often sort of perceived to be quite exotic. They're always represented as quite exotic, wearing turbans and things like that, or at least what Westerners would consider exotic. And so uh, he's always represented as a as a as a black man and. The first time I saw a kid, this must be way back in 2011, uh, I think it was in Regensburg, we were walking around the streets on the public holiday and these three kids walked past and one of them was blacked up. And I was mm-hmm. just like, whoa, okay, that's abnormal. And people were saying to us that, oh, it's not weird. It's not racist. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's a costume. <laughs> I'm just like, <gasps> I'm just like, well, it is racist <laughs> by its very nature. But like, I understand there's like a literal interpretation of the Bible that I think is the reason that people would use as an excuse for it not being racist, but it's racist. There's also, I'm not, I'm not sure if there's a, I don't think Balthazar is described as black in the Bible. I'm, I'm definitely prepared to be corrected on that, but I did hear recently, I believe on an episode of QI, they talked about it and actually links to one of the great Nuremberger, uh, Albrecht Dürer, and he painted um, the title of the piece is The Adoration of the Maggie Detail of Balthazar, uh, in 1504, where he painted Balthazar uh, to match this story, he's a black man. And that 
1504 has been cited throughout uh, throughout the centuries as one of the first representations mm-hmm. of, uh, of a European artist painting one of uh, Balthazar. Uh, so yeah, Jura has a small part to play in this. So yeah, solid factoids from Simon there. He's just pulling the knowledge about the city I live in. Look at this. <laughs> we had some feedback that we hadn't done justice to Franconians uh, in the last episode. So here we are. I'm mentioning the greatest Franconian of all time. The one parts of Germany that we complain about not being mentioned most. It would always be the Franconians. Let, let, let's not let's not get upset anyone. <laughs> I live in Swabia. I'm protected. Don't you worry. I'm putting you in danger of anything. <laughs> so obviously, I love history and and being raised in a very sort of Christian household. Although I'm not, I'm certainly not an observing Christian now. But I was raised with Sunday school. It sort of is always interesting me. The interested is the way that the sort of Bible's been interpreted after the fact from like the translation onwards. But the thing that I always love. The names of the of the Magi were never given in the in the Gospel of Matthew, but um, a, a Greek manuscript has named them, and that's from 500 AD. But it's also <laughs> Balthazar, and this is from the Wikipedia page. So apologies if it's slightly inaccurate, but it only makes me laugh because the person concerned is is a Geordie, right? Balthazar was described in the eighth century by by the Venerable Bede, mm-hmm. who was. Uh, from Northumbria, who was a historian, very important uh, part of, of British culture and in the Northeast. Big up the venerable Indeed. beard. Indeed. Yeah. Uh, as being of black complexion with a heavy beard, uh, with the myrrh he held in his hands, prefigured the death of the Son of Man. So basically, one of the reasons why uh, Balthazar is depicted as, as a black man in paintings and artworks and even with Jura is due to a 8th century Geordie monk who, wow. on a whim, just seems to have decided... <laughs> He's like, let's let's literally add some some important details we, that we're missing here. We get a day off on Thursday, which means it's a really weird one because we're off on Thursday, then I'm back to work on Friday. So I always seem to start work on Fridays. It's a bit of a bummer. You don't get to exploit the the wonderful Bridge Day of Brukatag. I can't because I've got classes. I can't. I can't <sighs> bridge that gap because. I'd have to cancel classes. I'm just setting myself up to fail in the future. Plus, if I'm going to have to work, why not make loads of other students do it too? That's what they signed up for. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> That's what they want. Commitment. So, uh, yeah, it's not been it's not been long since we spoke to each other. We were in, in each other's company last... Uh, was it Wednesday? Yes, it was Wednesday, wasn't it? It was, yeah, it was Wednesday. Yeah. yeah. So I went over to Simon and his lovely wife's home and they cooked me, as ever, the theme of... The last four weeks, a roast dinner. <laughs> so, it was chicken we were eating, and inexplicably, uh, uh, we were one of the guests requested that we make Yorkshire puddings, which don't go mm. with chicken traditionally. But fuck it, <laughs> we're iconoclasts. We don't need to follow the rules that some <laughs> exactly. some weirdos made up about food. So we had some Yorkshire puddings, which were quite nice. But yeah, it was a lovely time had by all. But that's not to mention the really important part which was the gift of beer that was given to us by our friend Stuart. Yeah, shout out Stu. Some lovely, lovely beers there. It's Franconian selection. I had one yesterday. Mm. It was very good. I had the, the, the first one I had was the Zwickel. Mm. And like a, it's not a strong flavour beer at all. And a lot of Zwickels I've had in the past have been quite mm. like, they make you think of like sitting in a dark cave drinking it. And it was just the lightest, loveliest beer. And you could drink like 10 of them and just feel like you just... Was so hydrated, 
Uh, so yeah, that was that was a nice surprise that one, and yeah, the minor very very mm-hmm. nice as well. Yeah, I thought uh, yeah, I had good stuff. I think I had that yesterday. So I had the minor Hellas, and that was. I mean, I've said it before, like, and it's. I felt I certainly I don't know how you feel. The last couple of weeks we sort of bashed Germany a bit because because we have a tendency to sometimes go two footed in when we've got a strong opinion about certain things on Germany. But like this, this some of the things that they have the good sides and the bad sides. But with beer, there's only ever good sides. You just go in, buy buy six random beers, drink them. They all taste amazing. That's something that I would have a real challenge in dealing with if I moved to another country is the two beers after a long day. Mm. Yeah, sure, you could have two Heineken's or two Carlsbergs or something like that. But there's no more sort of satisfying thing than to go and buy two random beers you've never had before and discover, oh, like, this is, like, my new favourite beer. <laughs> Such a, like, a pleasing activity. You don't want to suffer shit beer, do you? Like, especially if you're only going to have two or maybe even one beer. You want it yeah. to be the best it can be, you know? Yeah, I saw a photo of myself the other night from New Year's Eve five years ago, I think. And I was in the UK visiting a friend that I had a can of Foster's in my hand. Oh, my God. <laughs> it just made me so angry that I'd let myself do that. Yeah. <laughs> but, like, we, I remember just cane and boxes. You get 24 cans of Foster's, especially at Christmas, that do special deals when I worked in, mm-hmm. in supermarkets. Yeah, 10 quid for 24. Yeah. And you'd, there'd, there'd, there'd be, like, a warning a week before the delivery and then, like, it was it was chaos sometimes. People would go in and there'd be, like, mm. it'd be, like, three three 24 cases for for 20 quid or something. Yeah. And people wonder why pubs can't stay open in Britain, right? Yeah, yeah. But it, totally. But you drink it, and it, and it, and it is a total, it's a total uh, sort of contrast because you, you're buying as much beer for the smallest amount of money possible, whereas in Germany – the pricing of beer is quite reasonable and you get really good quality. And it just, I mean, I can't unpack that in, in a lot of detail. Sorry, listener, I'm just not that smart yet. Um, but I can't unpack what that means. But I think it has some resonance as to like what it's, what Britain's all about and what Germany's all about when it comes to certainly certain consumption and consumer yeah. choices, right? You've also, you said beer is reasonably priced. I would say it's, it's alarmingly affordable. It, beer just isn't expensive and you don't get upcharged in a lot of places of course if you go to a, a bar or a pub you're going to pay an upcharge on that but if you go to like a pizzeria and want to get a bottle to take with it it's going to be like a euro 50 mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. it's going to be totally reasonable that they're not doubling or tripling the price which i think you would find uh, back home buying a beer in a pizzeria is just another example right but you would never serve beers in kebab shops like they do here because because you'd <laughs> no. just be murders wouldn't it it's so funny like i remember this is going back a long time but this is this is why it was quite shocking and what's i mean the average price of a bottle of becks for instance a bottle of becks which is like what is it, like the, the smallest bottles, like a three thirty, three thirty, right? And I, I remember back way back in like two thousand seven or two thousand eight, going into a bar in Newcastle, and and, uh, the, and this again speaks to that quality versus price question, and it's something that British people will discuss, especially Northerners when they go to London. It's always like, oh God, the price of beer was this much. Hmm. But I remember this is in the centre of Newcastle, bottle of Beck's, a small bottle. It's not even very good beer. And the guy was like nine pounds. And I was just like, no, no, I'm not paying that. You can have it back. And he's like, well, you've opened it. And I was like, <laughs> you opened it. It's not, my it's not my problem. I'm not paying it. Like, it's, we know, like, I can, you know, as well as I do, I can go next door and get the same bottle of beer for, for like half the price. And I'm not paying for the ambiance, as it were. And I think that's something that happens a lot. Whereas here, 
Like it was one of the best things I remember about going clubbing when I used to go clubbing. When my appearance in a club wasn't the sign that the club has suddenly become very uncool. <laughs> uh, I remember going to clubs here and you get a bottle of Augustina, and I, I railed against Augustina, I know, but it's a very good beer. Uh, you get a bottle of Augustina for what, like two fifty, three fifty, something like that. Maybe there's yeah. a fan involved, so it's four yeah, fifty, but you get the, yeah. the little token and. And I was just like, you go on a night out and you you would get properly rattled and still come home with money in your pocket. And I was just like, bloody hell, mm-hmm. this is this is the place for me. Yeah, totally. I mean, when, when back home in the UK, I would expect on a night out to spend about 50 quid um, on like drinks and like getting into places. Um, yeah, 50 quid would be sort of a standard amount of money to spend. Whereas here, 20 quid, 30 quid uh, or 30 euros uh, <laughs> to be better with the currency. Is is what I spend a fifty would be balls to the wall buying shots for everyone, living like a madman with a bottomless wallet. <laughs> I mean, do you miss it? All things being equal, right? And there was no pandemic, and you could go out clubbing. It's something I've been thinking about recently. Would you go out like clubbing if you could? With my taste in music being what it is, there aren't that many places that cater uh, to like punk rock, and I'm a massive snob when it comes to other stuff. So like eighties hair metal upsets me. It's it's a close relative. But it, it's not something to spend my night with. But if I could go back to like, there's a place called Metros in Cardiff, four quid to get in on Wednesday nights and then 99p for a double and mixer. So you get like a pint of something for, for four quid. Just the, the the brazen drunkenness and just the anarchy that ensued when we were all just that fueled by alcohol. Yeah, yeah. I wouldn't mind doing that again, but no. No, I wouldn't. I can't see myself doing it here at my age. Like, I sound old saying that, but no. But I think that's it. I think I think it's that's my realization. Because you remember we've had this conversation where I'd get really frustrated if everyone wanted to stay in someone's flat after watching football or something. Mm-hmm. I'd be like, "Let's go out and let's go." Or I'd always go out, and I'd always be the one going, "Let's go to another pub." Yeah, yeah. and everyone would be like, "Why?" <laughs> I'm constantly on the move. Yeah, I don't get that instinct. Yeah, at all. I love pub no. crawls. Right, that's partially it. But uh, uh, that was definitely like a hangover from being a student, where you would just hop through bars and stuff and mm. and then i sort of relaxed a bit and i was like all right we just stay here and now i've got to the point i think certainly during the pandemic where i'm just like the idea of going to a club just sounds like the worst thing and it's totally like the the age meeting the pandemic at exactly the right point where i'm just like oh no actually what i want to do <laughs> is listen to the music i like drink like drinks that are good and sort of easily go to sleep <laughs> i'm just like yeah and part part of me part of me's mourning the death of the the, the the sort of reckless side of me but the others i don't know i just feel like it's the right thing i feel quite happy about it i don't feel like i'm pining for the days of clubbing and stuff like that i'm, I'm pining for the pub for sure like i would love to go to the pub with our little crew and mm. and do what we used to do like start at 12 and drink until the pub closes. Do you think we'd last? Yeah, of course. Do you think? Yeah. Well, I mean, it depends how reckless you are with like requesting sambucas and the like. Um, <laughs> you're the one that has that instinct. I don't. I've absolutely. still never found a black sambuca. And honestly, every time I ask, I had an inter- interaction. This is a few months ago. I had an interaction with a, a waiter, and I think he thought I was taking the piss out of him. And I said, "Do you have black sambuca?" And he went, "What's that?" And I was like, "Oh, it's sambuca, but it's black." <laughs> and he like looked at us, would, like give us that eye, and I was like, "No, I'm not taking the piss." It's like that's exactly what it is. And I was like, you'd know it if you had it. And he's like, no, we don't have it. And I was like, oh, okay, I guess. I guess we're never going to find it. Because Black Sambuca was a big thing in 
in the pub in, in Newcastle. But is it just coloured Sambuca or is it actually different? I know it's exactly the same. Like it's aniseedy shot, but it's black. Uh, apparently there is a difference. Uh, the the black one is predominantly infused with witch elderbush, anise and licorice, whilst the white has more aromas and flavours of star anise. I mean, I can't honestly say that I saw much different. No, I'd never tasted the difference. <laughs> when the Sambucas are coming out, that's generally sort of you're about four or five pints deep right and unless it's like some celebration and you're having it in the first first round which is a bold statement of intention (laughs) no thanks (laughs) i do miss going to the pub but yeah i think my clubbing days are over my knee i walked up the stairs before my knee was clicking and i was like no one wants to have that on the Mm -hmm. dance floor it's like click click it's like having a metronome on your body (laughs) just telling you how you're old you're old you're old (laughs) fuck you knee (laughs) but i think as well like obviously we both moved into houses and out of apartments now we have gardens and for me it's it's much more appealing just to have a load of people around with a few cases of beer and uh, smash through them uh, without having to deal with obnoxious strangers who don't quite vibe with my vibe i like meeting people right and groups of english speakers even groups like our group would intermittently mix between german and english and there'd be people speaking german in one conversation and people speaking english in another Mm. conversation but we'd always you'd always end up part of the night someone would creep up and go are you guys from britain and so (laughs) i don't really miss that aspect of it but i do i did enjoy like sort of meeting meeting people and random in random situations but the enjoyment factor i think as soon the idea of going to a club sounds good and i think every so often i go oh that sounds like a good idea and then i realize i got to go in and realize exactly how old i was and just mm. i'd never i'd never live it down <laughs> just to quickly turn to meeting strangers i was always a little jealous whenever it happened because nine times out of ten they'd be like oh you're a geordie and they just they would be all over you because of your accent and your heritage and your coolness. <laughs> no, it's because it's because I'm just a delightful conversational partner. That's what it is. People just gravitate yeah. towards my my abundance of crack. That is to say, the conversational crack, not the yeah. drug crack. Okay. <laughs> but like anyone north of Watford was just like immediately, oh, he's a Geordie, he's, he's classy. It's like he's a dick. <laughs> <laughs> we fucking hate him. Yeah, that could be right. If, you, if we do go out on a night out, usually it would end, as we've discussed, I think, some point last year, in having a, a nice, lovely kebab. But you, Simon, have, seem to have, have come across one of the most horrendous kebab <sighs> versions that, and also probably the most German kebab version that you yeah. come up with. So <laughs> tell, really is. tell me about your harrowing experience. Well, I mean, you pointed in the direction of us with the quote uh, that started us off, when the sky cries, the earth comes to life. And this is a Hawaiian proverb. And so, yeah, Karen, one of our listeners, posted this, and I was horrified. This is a Hawaiian Donatella. So in German, mit Käse Urbachen, uh, Ananas, and salsa hollandaise so this is a plate with doner meat um, covered in cheese and then pineapple and hollandaise sauce and they're calling it the hawaiian doner kebab plate and it's just it's so upsetting <laughs> to see this not like a secret thing you have to ask for but actually written on their menu and it's above the balkan teller which is just sad because the balkan teller has got chibachichi oh yes please fuck this it is a disgrace and no more please the sauce hollandaise is a real bold decision right oh. it's like because it just sounds like a list of things that don't go together what foods don't go together these 
kebab and kebab and pineapple. Hollandaise, like the, it contains the name of another nation in it. Like you can't even just make it like horse Hawaiianese and just pretend. But no, it's. I mean, the the ananas pineapple. I know. Like, I think it might work. The sweet and the and the and the juiciness of the ananas might work in certain kebab things. I'm not totally against it. I'd never order it. But if someone did, I wouldn't think they're a madman. But if they had said, "And I want the hollandaise sauce on my pineapple, please." Uh, that really is a fatality right there. That's disgraceful. So thanks, Karen. <laughs> Something's so 70s, and there's some, there's, there's like a, there is some kind of familial relationship between toast Hawaii, which is white bread, mm-hmm. uh, ham, a, a circle of pineapple, and cheese on top, and a cherry in some instances. And a cherry. <laughs> why, why not? I mean, it. If we're doing if we're doing weird shit, let's do that. And like the hedgehogs used to get it terrible parties that would have like pineapple and cheese and grapes and stuff on them. So there's like some connection I get there. But I w- I'd love to know, Karen, if you're listening, right? Like you're the only person who can collect this data for us. But go to that kebab place and just ask them, just go, how many of them do you sell a year? And is there a list? Do you keep a list of the names of those people? And do you send that list to the police? Because <laughs> you clearly got a customer base of deviants. Yeah, the ordnance amp need to know about this. <laughs> like, that's the kind of data collection that I think is vital in, in this day and age. Don't know about you, but there's at least four people a year who are buying Hawaiian kebabs. I want to know who those people are. I want to know if I live next door to one of them. <laughs> yeah, assemble a register, please. Exactly. <laughs> Horrendous. I don't know. I, I guess the pineapple gets a gets a, a raw deal because people love the debate. It's one of those like perennial internet debates where it's, do you like pineapple on pizza? Like I've never been fussed about pineapple on pizza personally. I don't really care, but people get really animated about it. It, it just it's an odd hill to choose to die on. And it also, it just strikes like a cry for help, no? Like people who are just like, yeah, I, I like. It's fine that you do, but as you say, it, it does become quite volatile. People do get quite upset if you criticise it, mm. and it's like I love jalapenos on my pizza. If someone was like jalapenos, you're a madman. How ugh, disgusting! I wouldn't be <laughs> like, how dare you? How dare you? Um, and that's that's the vibe you get from these uh, pineapple lovers. <laughs> Sounds like a really harsh insult. That. I can't say anything about weird food choices because I spent a month talking about cheese in Stalin. And so, I mean, it would seem slightly hypocritical. But We're I doing do, it anyway. <laughs> I, no, I mean, I don't. I totally, if you want to eat whatever you want to eat, enjoy it. It also suggests they know their customers way better than we do. But I'm again, Karen, find out. I need you to find out, really. I will not sleep until I know how many people are buying Hawaiian kebabs. I mean, the other side of it is I do enjoy the look on my German family's faces when I do something that is particularly normal food etiquette in Britain and just isn't here. Like I was having, we're having lunch and it was broadside. And so I had some peanut butter. Uh, My wife likes to have a bit of jam on bread after having eaten her lunch. And so bread, peanut butter, jam, it all came together. Bang, I'm there happily making myself a peanut butter and jam not sandwich because it was open top but you know i'm collecting it together it's happening right (laughs) and i looked up and looked up in the faces of my parents-in-law and my wife were just like it was almost like they'd seen a horrific accident (laughs) like the look on their faces and they're like are you putting jam on your peanut butter and i'm like what are you talking about like it's the most normal and it's in those moments where you realize oh like this thing that's completely normal in my culture just isn't to these people. And it's not necessarily to German wide 
just this group of particular people. I say if they, if they had no exposure to American TV, because P- really. PB and J is just is such a big part of sandwich culture on American TV shows, especially like eighties and nineties ones. Everyone was eating PB and J. The other one is when I dip my biscuits in my tea. Mm. And I do that ritually. If you give me a cup of tea and there's biscuits available, that combination is going to occur. And every time I've done it in front of people, whether it's my my German family or just people, they always <laughs> they always just like look at me like I'm deranged. But then I see people deep dipping cake in their in their tea, and I find that slightly deranged because it's like the consistency clearly isn't. It's not designed to be dipped. No. <laughs> You can cause yourself a problem. There's going to be bits in your tea. That's really not a dippable thing, cake. Like, that's that's madness. Each to their own, I suppose. But I just always find it a bit strange. Like the things that I do that seem particularly normal always seem to cause some kind of an extreme reaction that isn't really warranted to what I'm doing. <laughs> so I suppose we just have to accept that the Hawaiian kebab exists. I don't know why my voice cracked. <laughs> Hawaiian kebab. The Hawaiian kebab does exist. Somebody does enjoy it. Unless it's like an extreme practical joke and they don't actually make it. This is all for but, just Twitter exposure. This menu doesn't exist. This it. kebab house is just seeing their visitation numbers slowly tick up. Yeah, exactly. Could be exactly that. So it's been a few months since the new joke. Well, it's not even been a few months. It's been like a month, basically, <laughs> since the German government. I always the, the the Christmas break's done something terrible for my perception of time. But it's been it's been roughly a month since the new German government, headed by Olaf Scholz, the new coalition, came together and uh, started governing the country. And it's safe to say that. If there was a honeymoon period, it lasted a sum total of about 25 minutes in or around the like <laughs> the beginning of December because already I've read the first article about how, uh, and it seems a bit unfair, Olaf Scholz's chancellor rating has, got, has taken a dip. He's barely been in the job. He's barely done anything. <laughs> it's like, how fickle are these people? His inaugural speech to Parliament was on the 15th of December, uh, mm-hmm. and today we're at the, uh, the 4th of January. So yeah, there you it's go. been two and a half weeks. <laughs> <laughs> Already he's getting the shit. There was there was a, something that said, oh, well, his, his rating's are much worse than Angela Merkel's. And I'm like, that's not even a fair comparison. Yeah. Right? <laughs> like, it's, he's been in the job less than a month. <laughs> Give him a break. But one of the things that I've noticed, and I'm not sure if you've noticed this, is that basically we're going to have to suffer through four years of journalists writing articles that are something like, there's obviously a break in the coalition because mm-hmm. this has happened or what does this mean for the coalition or like, and it's like every story now seems to be about that. They were talking about, um, given, uh, Walter Steinmeier, the presidency again, which seems a perfectly sensible decision. He's a very good president and he's also SDP. So it makes sense to have him stay in the position. It's fair enough. And, uh, the story in Süddeutsche Zeitung was something like, well, the Greens aren't happy about it, but they're paving the way for it to happen. And I'm like, why does it... What? <laughs> they're not happy about it, but they're going to let it happen. And it just seems like that's the, the narrative. There's another one about um, Olaf Scholz had taken over directly communicating, or he contacted Vladimir Putin directly instead of going through Annalena Baerbock's foreign office mm-hmm. and how that was a sign that he didn't trust Annalena Baerbock. And I'm like... Well, no, bearing in mind that Russia's talking about going to war, maybe you yeah. want 
Maybe you want the top guy to start that discussion. <laughs> like maybe you don't want Annalena Baerbock heading that discussion particularly. Maybe it's not suitable necessarily for her to be heading that discussion uh, given the situation. But it was just the other another attack line of, oh, is there a split here? Is, is this a normal thing that would happen? I'm just tired of it, really. I mean, when we compare it to what's going on in the UK where we have Liz Truss doing the equivalent job of Annalena Baerbock, and Liz Truss is, is not doing a great job. She's got a lot on her plate. And yeah, of course, a lot on her plate equals £1,500 in taxpayer bills for a lunch. At least with Schultz and Baerbock, you've got two good options. Whereas Boris Johnson and Truss, I don't really trust either of them to do a fantastic job in dealing with um, with Putin's provocations at the moment. But uh, but like no one cares. Like yeah. Britain's out of that topic of discussion. Like they're a victim. Who cares what Britain thinks? Like Russia clearly doesn't. This trust does appear on Twitter a lot because she tweets about everything she does. And I was thinking, Annalena Baerbock doesn't even tweet that much about what she does. <laughs> Liz Truss is like, I was here today. I went there. I spoke to this person. Like, I'm really working. And Annalena Baerbock's yeah. like sort of tweeting about policy and stuff. The, the comparisons are slightly different because this the Tory government's been in power for 10 years, hasn't it? Mm-hmm. Whereas, yeah, yeah. Whereas the coalition government's been in power for 25 minutes. Um, so, and I, I'm expecting more of these articles to, to sort of appear and more of these stories to appear until at some point there's another election and how it's, they were friends once and now they hate each other. But you were saying for the last four years they weren't friends. <laughs> what is this? I don't know. I just, I, f- I feel like there's not a lot of news to write about. So everything's becoming a bit sensationalized at the moment. Yeah. I mean, obviously there's a huge amount of Corona stuff and that seems to be the, the primary focus of the press at the moment. And then, as you say, they point the camera squarely at, at uh, the coalition and try and find anything they can just chip away at to, to build a, a crack of a story. Mm. But I say there's not actually much going on. And mo- most of these politicians, as you say, are, are still very much settling into their new offices uh, as opposed to really carving out new legislation. Uh, but yeah, they are governing and mm-hmm. for people on the ground so far so good there's like a comparison to be made because there's there's this like continuous babble about like splits in the in the government coalition but also there's been this curious discussion over the last couple of days because of the rise of corona protests um or anti-lockdown protests or whatever we're calling these sort of queer denka protests they've been talking about the legality of this new strategy that a lot of protests seem to be taking which is they're calling them. Is it spazieren gehen, ganging, or yeah, sp- yeah, go for a walk together. Spazieren gehen, and and these like where the people organise themselves on Facebook or WhatsApp or Telegram. More than likely, they don't follow the procedure that's common for protests in Germany, where you contact the city where you're going to hold the protest forty eight hours in advance, and also appoint a leader or contact of the of, of the of the protest. Um, and mm-hmm. they just turn up and sort of they have symbols and signs and there's a big discussion about how oh, how do we how do we deal with this problem and, and it just seems like well the the bit of the constitution i was reading today i think it's like clause eight or something like that about protests and the right to protest and the thing that caught my eye was like well the police basically have to deal with it proportionally and i'm just like well mm-hmm. there's your answer like why are we even writing articles it's like these people are doing this protest. They're not following the law. They'll probably get broken up by the police and the police probably shouldn't batter the shit out of them unless there's, they start getting shit thrown at them. Like, that's the story. Mm-hmm. And it's like, why are you even reporting this? Like, it's like they've come up with this genius strategy and it's like, no, they're just trying to get around a rule 
and make as much noise as possible they're the minority yet i've seen about seven or eight articles written about them and and mm. it's the same again it's like this what's the story here the story is no there is no story like the same with the government it's like the story is the government are doing stuff and you don't really know what's happening so we're predicting that the there's some kind of beef going on uh the same with this is like this protests what's the story there is no story but let's write one anyway and uh, let's have some opinion columns on it too and i'm just like <laughs> It'd be better. Wouldn't it be great if they just went, there's no stories today. <laughs> there's no news. <laughs> there, there was a day. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. April the 18th in 1930, listeners tuned into their BBC's 845 news bulletin and they were told, there is no news tonight. <laughs> and then for 15 minutes, they played piano music. <laughs> I know, wouldn't that just be great? This even links incredibly because after the piano music there was a performance of wagner <laughs> the opera Par- parsifal so there we go yeah why not get German on German culture take it there's no news it's symptomatic of like people scratching around for something to talk about in january when there isn't really there's like there's this no like positive news <laughs> it's all a bit shit january's a shit month oh, that's my feeling it's like the sooner we get out of january the better <laughs> february's no better either I find them both the most tedious months. Well, there might be snow. There might be snow. <laughs> That's fucking even worse, you know. That's good news for my shovel. Come back out the garage. <laughs> you and your bloody shovel. Christmas was a time to gorge on a shit ton of meat and snacky goodness. And I know, by God, I did. And I've got the nightmares to prove it from my stolen and cheese adventures. And since we've just gone through this this binge period, for certainly me at least, and we also live in the centre of the world for cheap cuts of meat, I thought maybe it's a good time to start talking about, you know, is cheap meat A, a good thing, and B... Is it going to last? And the reason I bring that question up mm. is comments by Chem Ozdemir, as you, you may remember from previous episodes, is the Green Party's agricultural minister in the government. And he's been talking to Build on Am Sontag about what he wants to see from uh, farming and, and food production during his time in mm. office. And one of the things he's looking for is more organic food and less convenience food in Germany, which brings me into conflict with my one of my favorite politicians because... My God, convenience food is some of the best food. Uh, but we'll, 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 we'll talk about that in a moment. So uh, essentially what Chem Ozdemir has said is food should no longer be sold at cheap, cheap, cheap prices. It's, it affects consumers and it affects farmers. And that really the price should reflect a lot of different aspects, including the uh, impact on the environment, for instance. He's, he's pushing for for higher prices for food based on on these sort of criteria but also um the better quality less mass production and also labeling uh, is something that he's he's focusing on mm-hmm. so how do you feel about about mr ostomir or Herr ostomir's plans for farming food production and less convenience food in germany of course we have to look at all the different people along this chain i mean for the farmers it's, it's fantastic news because they have to be paid more than what they are today uh, especially the dairy industry is a complete clusterfuck. Like these farmers don't know how much they're getting paid until like three weeks later when everyone else has taken their cut and they get what's left on the table. And that's real bullshit. And, but for me as a consumer, yeah, it doesn't sound that thrilling because I enjoy my shopping being cheap. I've said to people, especially back home, if I'm talking about what I love most about Germany is how much you can get for a euro uh, in terms of cost of living. And cheap food is a very key component of the cost of living when we're looking at energy prices going up by up to 300 euros for a household has been spouted today in the press. Cheap 
food is is a, a nice way to offset those rising costs but yeah i mean the big burden is of course going to be on poor people uh, and this is something that he says uh, he cites as well our families this isn't going to affect too much we can afford to to buy meat from local butchers and support local industry and pay those markups but i mean you have edica for example one of the largest supermarkets in, in the country their own brand is labeled good and gunstig uh, which I guess if you wanted to translate into marketing language back home would be cheap and cheerful. Yeah, yeah, it's exactly what it is, yeah, yeah. And that as being like your selling point, that it's that it's cheap, it's gunstick, is is an interesting move that you wouldn't get in many other countries. I didn't see it in America, uh, products being marketed as being cheap or affordable. Uh, it was about them being flavorful or awesome. Was the most, of course, he's got a point. And there's a really good quote that he, he gives uh, where he says, quote, sometimes I get the feeling that a good engine oil is more important to us than a good salad oil. Yeah, I, th- I think that's a, that's a nice little quote that I'm sure Bill ran with hard because uh, there's a little dig at the auto industry, of course, which they love to say, oh, green is pointing the Oh, yeah, of course. Cars, <laughs> and it was interesting. Uh, one of the first criticisms of uh, this policy uh, came from our state minister president, Marcus Soda. Yeah, I kind of love when he has something to say because if you're thinking about the person who's got the weakest legs to stand on when it comes to talking about welfare of farmers, given that one of the insights after the election was <laughs> the CDU and the CSU have lost a considerable amount of votes from farmers. Um, and he, mm-hmm. I mean, he came out and he criticised. It was almost like reflex, and I think this is often what happens when you've got a, a party that's been in power for a long time is suddenly put into opposition. They're kind of in disarray, and so basically, what happens is they attack everything that's opposite, which is so bad for politics. It's like we need to say something, mm. but we can't be positive about it. So let's be negative about it. There's no positivity there. I just feel like, feel like it's really bad politics, and it just seems like kind of a wasted statement. But he's essentially said that uh, the, the the federal government was was not there to dictate what or how much they should eat or how much people should eat, which kind of made me laugh a little bit because it's like, well, why do you tax alcohol then? Because you tax alcohol. So like, if that's the case, then why did you not just get rid of all the taxes on alcohol? Because you're not there to tell us what to I mean, eat and drink. It's just it's Fox News bullshit. Like it's exactly yeah, it's the same narrative where everyone talks about the Green Deal. Yeah. They, people be like, they want to take away your hamburgers. The Fourth of July, you yeah, won't be allowed yeah. to eat your steak. It's just it's scaremongering bullshit. And yeah, okay, they're not there to literally dictate uh, what people should eat, but the government should absolutely take care of its citizens. And selling them cheap mm-hmm. processed meat is not a good way to do that. Hello, America. But it's, the thing that got me was that it said that it would be better for farmers if the price pressure from trade and groups was reduced and the bureaucracy reduced by the state. And it's like, that's just such a rote reply. It's such a like, like, yeah, you could say that about pretty much everything. Like, let's reduce the bureaucracy. Well, yeah, great, let's do that. But you, you've had the opportunity to do that and you haven't in 10 years. So like, what? What are you banging on about? Like how long? Well, fifteen years. The 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 C- CSU and CDU have been mm-hmm. um, certainly the CSU is always in power in Bavaria. So, um, but <laughs> as, as as a national government, they were in coalition with the CDU as ever, being sister parties. It almost like he hadn't read what what it, what it was what the policies and ideas were. And actually, what was interesting was seeing the reply from from the industry basically from people uh, who are actual farmers basically calling for 
for for similar kinds of ideas. And this is the Friar Bowen, I think they're called. So the Free Farmers. Yeah, they they've got three main ideas that they want to put forward to Chermozdemir. Uh, they want to see an origin label on all food, so that people buy and mm-hmm. the food can identify locally. Which I think that's quite sensible. A lot of products do have that. Certainly, vegetables do do have that in Franconia. Mm-hmm. At least I've seen that. Secondly, they wanted a fair, fair supply chain relations. So they're talking about this issue with regards to pricing where supermarkets will often pay after the fact. Mm-hmm. And so they don't, farmers don't necessarily know how much they're going to get paid for their produce until they're actually paid because the supermarkets claim market forces, et cetera, et cetera. And the third thing they wanted was, was what they call the unbundling law, which is kind of, it's not a great translation, but basically the, the breakup monopolies of big food producers. And these all seem quite in tune with what, Chemostomy is saying his policy is not entirely fleshed out because he's just introducing it and talking about it as a concept. It's not a fully fleshed out thing and it might not be for a number of years, but I don't see what they're, they're already in kind of the same place ne- negotiations wise. And then you've just got Marcus Soda wheeling and going, Oh, you should do these things. So, <laughs> like, like, yeah, I think he knows that. <laughs> it's just all very convenient because everyone has the ability to blame the consumer mm-hmm. um, because. The supermarkets can say, okay, yeah, we can only pay this much because your products haven't sold that much because of the consumer, because of the market. And then other people say, oh, but we can't charge them up because the consumers won't buy it. And then we're told by people like Soda that as consumers, we have a responsibility to, to demonstrate what kind of integrity we want in our food supply chains. One of my favorite words in the whole of the German language is Schnäppchen, uh, a bargain. And in, in my core, I am a Schnappian Jäger. I'm a bargain hunter. And I think anyone who is responsible for doing the weekly shop uh, for their family becomes a bargain hunter because that's how the German system is built. Unless you go exclusively to like really expensive supermarkets, which you have to go to like Karstadt and like shop in their sort of delicatessen style. Raver is a bit pricier, Edeka. But if you are a normal shopper, like you spend a lot of your time going, oh, that's a good deal. I'll take that. That's a good deal. And of course, that's what the supermarkets want. We are pawns in this play and, and blaming the consumer on the back end seems very disingenuous. But there was a really good quote from Reinhard Jung, who is the, the head of the, the Freibau and the Knicks already mentioned. And he quote said, uh, if we manage to pry a little bit of money from the big supermarkets and the big slaughterhouses, uh, and the dairy factories, the consumer wouldn't have to pay much more. And I think this is the other key. I mean, yeah, we talk about big supermarkets, but yeah, big slaughterhouses <laughs> is not necessarily with something we think about much. Obviously, it was in the press with Corona uh, numbers at Tunis uh, up in the north at the start of the pandemic. These companies with CEOs worth millions, some of the richest men in Germany, to the point that they're running Bayern Munich through their sausage legacy. It's, it's a difficult relationship to break and and it is it's quite scary looking at the the possible price uptick being uh, theorized so at the moment i'm, I'm not sure which beef is cited here the current price of a kilo of beef is about 14 euros at the moment and to make it sort of climate neutral and to make it fair for everyone along the chain uh, a study by an independent group of uh, farmers and environmentalists say that it should be about 80 euros a kilo so that's a pretty massive uptick five or six times more than what it costs today and yeah could you happily dish out five or six times more for your meat i mean 
Probably not actually, and not ultimately. You'd eat less meat. That's that's. But that's I think we already thing, we already do that. We don't eat a vast amount of meat. We should be promoting, and I think farmers want sustainable farming, and I think the, the farmers mm-hmm. want to produce stuff that the concern is just will we ever be able to sell it? And I think people will pay more for quality. It's a fact of life in Germany: the higher the quality, the higher the price. But I think it's, if it goes mm-hmm. hand in hand with raising the minimum wage and trying to pull people out of poverty then i don't see a massive it being a massive problem if we increase certain certain food prices especially if it relates to how bad the production is for the environment because that's just like i mean it's it's where we are now man like it's mm-hmm. we can't continue the way we've been going I mean, I know a lot of people will probably disagree with that, but I think it's the truth. And of course, I mean, it also ties into animal welfare as well. To produce really cheap chicken, for example, the conditions are certainly better in Germany than they are in North America, where big chicken really restricts the freedoms of the farmers allowed to give their chickens. I think everyone will be happy to pay to know that animals have a better mm-hmm. quality of life. And of course, every farmer that raises any kind of animal, they want to give their animals a good life. They don't want them to be... Mm-hmm living in a tortured existence and i mean if you're trying to squeeze out every cent for every kilo like yeah the animal welfare is going to be one of the first things that suffers i mean that goes in tune with this new new law that's coming to affect the start of this year about the destruction of male and well cockerels essentially essentially in the farming process because it's more difficult to feed i think it takes like three months to feed a cockerel to the point where it could be used for slaughter whereas it takes five weeks to fatten a specifically bred hens and so they often just kill the male chicks when they're born um and that practice has now been banned in germany and they're trying to work on how they can ban it for the whole supply chain so that any chicken that that is slaughtered in in germany is following this new procedure uh and so like i think animal welfare is is a big part of what people people want. I think people want to feel like they're buying food and buying products that are ethical and sustainable, and I think there's a truth in that. But the other side is obviously how much it costs. And I think, again, this is though, it's 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 Cem Ozdemir speaking in Bildam Sontag about ideas. It's not Cem Ozdemir announcing the next new policy for the agricultural sector. Mm-hmm. And I think... It, it probably needs it needs a little bit of sounding out and a little bit of correction. According to the Paritätische Gesamtverbund, which is the, the larger term for groups from Germany's social welfare organisations, and they've come out and said, well, it's a bit of a disappointing thing that Ostomy is talking about, the price of food and not the sustainable businesses and things like that. And that's a fair criticism, I think, because ultimately any raise, raising of food prices is going to impact the, the, the poorer people the most. But I guess if it goes hand in hand with trying to pull people out of poverty, then it's going to it's going to be a good idea. But again, it's it's and like I was saying with the, the, the discussion about the queer Denken protests or criticisms of the coalition. It just seems like there's so little news that he's made an announcement or had a conversation in a newspaper, and now it's like, mm. what does this mean? What does this mean? And it's kind of the thing that you see in Germany a lot is like we all know how long it takes a lot to sort of get get into. Uh, the Bundestag to be voted on it takes ages. There's so much discussion, <laughs> like it takes forever, and so it's going to change. There'll be more detail as we go. 
and I'm sure it's not going to just be written on the back of a fag packet. I mean, you're you're absolutely right. The 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 politician that created the bill uh, to stop the the shredding of male chicks, uh, Julia Kluckner, she's no longer in the job. Uh, she's she's now been replaced, but her bill has now mm-hmm. come to pass. And yeah, I think. There is definitely a strong movement in Germany about being sort of ethically acceptable mm-hmm. when it comes to, to food production. And before this year, Germany alone shredded 45 million chicks each year. That's a mad and number. Like, it's such a mad number. It's a terrifying number. I only found out about this practice a few years ago, and it was a devastating moment because I, I like eggs. I'd, I'd eaten thousands of eggs in, in my youth especially and i had no idea this wasn't public enough and i think it is something that mm-hmm. if i'd known about it at a young age i would have changed my eating practices i absolutely would have because i mean yeah gassing it's just grim and then shredding is is it's devastating uh, so i'm thrilled that now germany is is the first nation on earth to move in this direction and there will be there it's now that male chicks just won't be born. Mm. They're just gonna. They're not gonna have to deal with that that glimmer of life, and then forty five million little little souls, little chicken souls, being spared is good karma for the country for sure, uh, and more of it, please. <laughs> well, I'm not gonna have a debate whether chickens have souls with you, my friend, but uh, like maybe we'll save that sort of existential discussion for a later later day. But it can't be bad karma. <laughs> <That's all I'm laughs> it can't saying. be bad karma. Everything <laughs> with German politics now. Watch this space. Give them some bloody time. Eh? Yeah. Let's see what we get to, and then we can have a discussion. If we're having this discussion in a year's time, and there's not any clear policy, and we're still having having Ostemir appearing and Bill Am Sontag having chats about farming, then maybe there's a problem. But you know, there's an issue when everyone's kind of like, "These are good ideas." These are not good ideas. On Marcus Soda's going, here's some ideas. <laughs> like no one's got. They're all just ideas at the moment until there's there's a document in 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 front of the Bundestag. So I guess like everything, let's wait and see. Let's wait and see what happens. Well, I mean, all the, all these farmers are upset about having to grow meat this way. They're just going to be growing cannabis in a year or two. So <laughs> exactly, they'll all be laughing laughing with their uh, cannabis euros all the way to the back. hemp suits. <laughs> <laughs> no, look at my new hemp suit. Hey, ba- Bauer Muller has uh, suddenly become very affluent. <laughs> He's got a Ferrari. Um, I think he already did. <laughs> <laughs> Perhaps. What's for 20s? <laughs> Hello to Simon. So Simon gave you our warmest regards for the new year last week, but I didn't get a chance to do it, so I'm going to do it again, even though I did it at the start of the podcast. I'm I'm just overly excited by New Year. So Happy New Year, listeners. If you're enjoying the podcast, why not give us a rating on iTunes, which only takes a minute and can really help us out. You can also now give us star ratings on Spotify, so please do chuck some stars our way. Retweet us, share a link, or post with the hashtag DecadesFromHome, or lowercase on Twitter or Instagram. And you can also support the podcast by going to ko-fi.com, that's ko-fi.com, slash DecadesFromHome, and contributing to keep us well-stocked with tea and beer. As ever, if you have any questions, feedback, or maybe an article or topic you'd like us to cover, you can tweet Simon on at DecadesFromHome, and you can tweet me at 40%German. You can also get us 
is on 40percentgerman at gmail.com if you have time take a look at 40percentgerman.com weekly articles are up every saturday all that's left to say is thanks and bis next normal tschüss